The reason why personal branding is really powerful and impactful is because it humanizes someone. I'm the biggest advocate for do your nine to five and go home. Or like your job does not have to be your life and it's not have to be your everything. And like, even me, like I try and make a really conscious effort that my job is not my whole life. To build your personal brand, you have to, you know, share everything. You don't, as you said, you want to be known for something. I was at um, a Harry Styles concert like last summer and there was like 70,000 seats in the arena. I was like, oh, that's like the amount of followers I have on LinkedIn. And obviously they're not all active followers and they're not, you know, X, Y, Z, but is that moment of realization like, actually visualizing it is quite terrifying. I got reached out to apply for a job because I had a well-optimized profile. You know, I had the cover photo and a good headline and a bad section of my experience in there. And I did a few posts here and there about my thoughts on marketing campaigns and the fact I've graduated. What really makes people stand out and what people are looking for, what job like companies are looking for, is people that are passionate about their company and have that like almost ambitious drive. What is your definition of success? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You can just start off by telling us a little bit about your career journey so far. Yeah, so hi, um, I'm Izzy. Um, I graduated uni in 2021, summer 2021, so just after the pandemic, um, and very much did not know what I wanted to do. I done history and politics at uni, so obviously not marketing, not journalism, not business, nothing like that. Nothing that one might say is like super, super transferable or like go straight into a specific industry. Um, which meant I was really, really scared, anxious, literally zero plan. Um, even like when I went into uni, I knew I wanted a job straight off the back of it and the pandemic very much ruined that. Um, but yeah, I never really had a huge plan at that point. Um, I kind of started transitioning into the marketing world um, in my second year of uni. So in second year of uni, I watched the US office and was like, this is so funny. I do not want this life. This sounds like awful. Um, like being in an office all day where everyone hates their job and is counting down to 5 p.m. And yeah, they've got funny jokes on the show. That's not necessarily what the real world would be like if you worked in that situation. Um, so I started like trying to have a think what I wanted to do because as I said, very, very little plan. I knew I wanted to be something creative. I knew I didn't want to be in an office all day, every day doing something that I just didn't care about and no one else in the office cared about. Um, so I started kind of having a look through like what I was interested in and I kind of turned to movies to like think what things have I seen in the past that I really enjoyed. Luckily, I didn't think of like suits or grey's anatomy and like wanted to like switch to lawyer or medical because that is a lot. And <laughs> I obviously didn't want to do that. Um, but I started looking at like Devil Wears Prada and Ugly Betty and was like, ah, that sounds really fun actually. Which is so stupid because the whole point of it is that like toxic work environments where it's like everyone hates each other and you work ridiculous hours and your boss asks you to do like the craziest long days and the craziest stuff. But there was just something about that world of fashion and magazines and that sort of thing that really intrigued me. So out of some weird, bizarre kind of path, um, I got really cocky one night and just found the emails of the editor-in-chief of Glamour and Vogue. Um, so they're very under Condé Nast, which is like GQ, like basically every big magazine you know is pretty much under Condé Nast. Um, and yeah, and I got an internship at Glamour, which was super, super exciting. Did get postponed for like a year because of the pandemic. Um, but you know, I worked with them for about um, a week, wrote some articles that are actually still now published on the website that literally say Bias Valcala, which was super, super exciting because I didn't think that would happen. And as well, it also shows how important it is to not let little setbacks put you back. Because I remember when it got postponed to the pandemic originally it was meant to be in office in vogue house in london which is this crazy building with like big revolving doors and marble and all this stuff if i went and did it in office i probably would have making coffees and photocopying all day whereas because i did it online to get them to give me stuff to do i had to pitch articles and then write those articles and then you know i worked for the social media team which is my first kind of insight into that world of social media really um, 
From that, did a few more internships, the one with Pretty Little Martyrs, so if there's any martyrs listening to this, um, you probably have heard of Sophie. That was kind of my first, once again, big step into the world of social media. Um, she was still great at the time, and she probably had like 10,000 followers, but she was nowhere near what she is now. And so that was really cool to work with her for like nine months as a community manager, just kind of like learning the ropes of social media, Canva as well. Um, and then, yeah, going back now, we're at a point again where I've just graduated. So all of that was at uni. And despite doing these internships, having some more of an idea of what I wanted to do, I really, really struggled to get a job after uni. And a massive part of that was from not wanting to almost try, not out of laziness, but out of pure and utter fear and anxiety around, oh my God, they're never gonna get back to me. I'm not good enough for this job. I don't have enough experience. I don't know what I wanna fully do. I don't wanna be marketing, but I don't really know what and where. Um, so it actually took me so long to apply for like those first core jobs. And I, you know, started off doing like the bigger companies, but what really, really changed my entire kind of like mindset and trajectory is looking back at both Pretty Little Master, Glamour, things like that. I've never got anything the conventional route. Like I've never got an internship by going onto LinkedIn or, you know, Indeed or whatever and finding the internship and applying with 200 other people. I've always kind of found another way to get to it. Um, so as I said, just finding the emails for Glamour and Vogue, for Pretty Little Marks, I did a creative CV to like separate myself from everyone else. So I just, I knew I was going to be in Birmingham, so I graduated from UOB. Um, so I literally Googled Digital Marketing Agency Birmingham and sent off pretty much the same, I hope none of them are watching, so it was like the same like paragraph all of them, but were like slightly changed, like change the type, like dear whatever, and like little bit of change. Um, CV, portfolio, sent it off. I got like five job interviews within like a week, um, just off the back of doing that. Got a job for like a month and a half before I got a message on LinkedIn. So I guess a little bit of background as well, a bit of further context. I now work in personal branding. When everything we've just spoken about just now has nothing to like has everything to do with personal branding, but I didn't know at the time. Like at that point, personal branding was not on my radar. I didn't know it was a word. I didn't know anything. So I began to know. I posted on LinkedIn here and there mostly because of Sophie, because um, she like she was a bit of a LinkedIn. She was like one of the OG creators actually on that posting. By no means was a LinkedIn creator. I had like five hundred connections, probably mostly through PLM. Um, I did like dissertation posts and I've graduated and that sort of thing. And I think I did like one or two, um, my favorite marketing campaigns, but I very much did not have a personal brand as you might like call it today. And I think that's really, really important context for the next kind of stage of my story is I got a message on New Year's Eve. So I'd literally been working at my current company for a month and a half. Um, part-time like social media marketing like nothing crazy um yeah and I got a message from this guy called Sam Winsbury um and he basically said I'm hiring my company I know you've just started a new role but would you ever consider thinking about applying for this role of personal brand manager of course I say that sounds amazing um and was also like I have no idea what personal branding is I'm currently on a train to London for New Year's Eve to like <laughs> spend it with friends um, so I literally was like, can I get back to you like tomorrow and send in my CV and stuff? Googled personal branding and realized like how much bigger a thing it was. And I, well, I didn't even know it was a thing. So it was bigger than what I thought it was. I didn't even know it was a thing in itself. But at the same time, it's interesting looking back then, how much smaller it was versus now. I'm sure we'll get back more into the details of personal branding down the line. But yeah, became personal brand manager, was the third person to join the company because it was very much a startup. Um, yeah, worked there for like five months before becoming head of social. And then now we've kind of grown like crazy. And now about 16, uh, 16, 17 employees now from like all around the world, clients that are global as well. And yeah, that kind of brings us to here. Yeah, so on, on personal branding, um, you said at the beginning of your journey, you were you know, nervous and you didn't know what you wanted to do. And I feel like in your LinkedIn post and the thing that everyone really buys into, you're almost talking about those experiences mm -hmm. then and how you got through them. And 
you know, what you were doing actually did require a lot of confidence. Maybe you didn't feel it at the time. Mm-hmm. What did you, like, what made you, like, actually go ahead and, and you know, apply to those internships or do something a little bit different that other people weren't? Like, was it just, like, you knew you wanted to be successful and this is how you had to do it? Or was it just, like, mustering up faith and some kind of confidence? Yeah. That's a really, I actually don't think I've ever been asked that question before, so now I actually have to, like, think about it. But I think partly it was out of fear, like, complete fear of mediocrity, in a sense. Um, so I spoke to my mum about this, so I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but I was asking her, like, oh, like, how many people, like, in your life, like, love their jobs, kind of thing, and she was, like, very, very few, and I was, like, I knew that's not what I wanted at all, so I think that was part of it, is actually, the fear sometimes held me back, but at the same time, that fear also was, like, I'm so scared of this happening that I need to do more. Actually, as well, TikTok was actually really influential, because at the time, this is, like, kind of the back end of the pandemic where TikTok was getting big. And I was watching people on there that were either like, you know, living there, like doing careers through, like they're like young, they've come from small backgrounds and they're like fashion in New York now. Or there was like one creator, she was talking about like how to um, write those emails and the exact templates for it. Um, I think that's really, really useful. And that's also why I, as you said, like try and speak about it a lot on my own personal brand because knowing other people are going through the same thing or kind of them somewhat giving you the like stepping stones even though it is different than what everyone else is doing so like not everyone's doing it and that's the amazing part about it because if you do do it then you're like away from the crowd but at the same time it gives you that kind of reassurance of like okay this works for someone else I'm just going to give it a go and as well on top of that I think the almost anonymity that being able to apply online and to like reach out online like if you send an email and someone doesn't reply okay who cares like it's an email it's not like you're having to go up you know that classic you know parents like you need to go hand your CV into like the business next door and they'll give you a job and like no that doesn't work mum and dad but like that's it's a lot less scary to just send an email like just send an email send a LinkedIn message comment on a LinkedIn post once you start doing it, you realise it's a lot less scary, but having those stepping stones laid out, templates, things like that, that other people who've done it before can really help take away that initial fear because you have a bit of a plan. The majority of our audience are students, and um, something I get told by them a lot is, how do you start building a personal brand if you don't feel like you have one? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I wonder with yourself knowing what you know about personal branding, whether when you were a student, if you could go back to those times, when would you have started posting about what you were doing? Like, would you have maybe done things differently mm-hmm. while you were at university? What would you tell you? Your yeah, so there's a few things within that. Because I feel like people ask me this quite a lot. And I'm, in a weird way, glad that I didn't build a personal brand directly throughout university. Now, this is kind of like a pinch of salt sort of thing where you've really got to take it and look at your own life and your own experiences. If you're someone who wants to have a business straight out of uni or like go into that startup world or just like really, really wants to like run out the door from university, start your personal brand then and there. For me, I really, I was that kind of person where I really wanted to enjoy university for what it was. Like, I liked the socials and I liked my, I love my course actually, like my readings and essays. It sounds really nerdy, but I actually really enjoyed it. And one thing I always like to talk about with my journey is that it's never too late. So for example, all my internships, because Glamour also got pushed back, were all, I did three in my final term of my third year. And then as well, I didn't start building my personal brand till like six months after I graduated and I'm 20 I turned 23 in August and I'm doing okay do you know what I mean like just because you left it later doesn't mean you're too far behind and it's really important but as I said if you're going to want to build your personal brand at uni and you want to kind of you're that person that is really you know that entrepreneurial mindset and it's like I want to go 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 do it like it's completely okay um I think as well, there's a few reasons why people don't want to build personal brands. I think are really important to touch on and kind of break those myths around it. So like one of them would always be, it's really cringy and my like friends are going to think I'm really, really weird at posting online. Okay, yeah, maybe they will. But once again, if you've got that mindset, if you've got those goals, who cares? And as well, 
You need to surround yourself. And I will taste my grave. This is more important for your career than your personal brand or whatever, but your personal brand can help in this. The people who you surround yourself with will determine how you live your life, both from you know a career perspective, how much you network, how much you go to the gym, what food you eat. Everyone around you will determine kind of your personality and your trajectory. So if you're with people that are gonna think it's super cringy, are they the people that are gonna help you get to where you wanna go? Probably not. And your personal brand can really help you find the people that are gonna help you get there. Like so many of my friends now I met through LinkedIn and I'll like go stay in their family homes in like Scotland and like meet their parents and stuff. I've met them through LinkedIn. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is I've got nothing to say. And I think university students especially feel like this because like, well, what have I done? Like I've not got a business. I've not been in the workplace for 10 years or whatever. It's super, super important to always think, you know more than you one year ago. That's the first thing. Let's say you're a third year student, you know more than second year you. So you've got those experiences, you may have applied for some jobs and left now, whatever. But as well, you can start really small. I think there's a lot of confusion about what a personal brand is. Like, oh, I don't want to start my personal brand in uni because I don't want to be a LinkedIn creator, LinkedIn influencer or whatever. That's not what it was. As I said, and that's why I said that contract at the beginning, I got reached out to apply for a job because I had a well-optimized profile. You know, I had the cover photo and a good headline and a balance section of my experience in that. And I did a few posts here and there about my thoughts on marketing campaigns and the fact that I've graduated. I've got friends as well, especially in more niche worlds, especially if there's like any engineers listening to this, things like that. I know so many engineers, they did like two posts that have got like recruiters offering them their dream job for like 50, 60K a year. So I think it's really important if you are thinking of growing your brand at uni, those are two really big things to always keep in mind when you're going about it. Yeah, I think from my experience, having started to build a first brand in my final year, I would say it's it's not so much building that brand or that following, but university acts as like a mask for you to be able mm-hmm. to try things and do yes. things and not be expected to be like an expert at them initially, which is something that really helped me because, you know, the mm-hmm. first episodes I released were like comically bad in some ways and and yeah it just in other you know mm-hmm. business ventures or just posting on LinkedIn and, and I think it's true who you surround yourself with I mean I think the other thing that's worth mentioning in that is that if you do it just helps you know who your friends are better yes. you know what I mean like and like at UCL I guess I was a bit more lucky that people are career oriented and they get that you just got to do what you mm-hmm. got to do it's not as easy at other universities but ultimately like lose yeah I always thought at school as well it's like you, you don't the person who's gone to do nothing has never thought of as the mm-hmm. cool person so if you have to sacrifice being a loser for a year or your studies for the long-term gain then i think it's worth it um what do you what do you actually think the word personal branding means then because I, i'm sure you've like, thought about this mm-hmm. a fair bit and and obviously like everyone knows how important branding is for just, just mm-hmm. companies in general so like what is the difference between personal branding and branding like yeah. and the similarities yeah, for sure. So personal branding, I always just define as that's your reputation. That's the world's outward perception of you. And that outward perception is really important because who you are can be quite different to that perception and you want those two things to align. And it's the same when it comes to businesses and their branding. Like if you're a brand that is championing sustainability, for example, but in reality you're not sustainable, those two things aren't going to align and you're not going to really get anywhere if it's performative. And that same kind of logic goes to your personal brand as well. So, for example, let's say you want to be super charismatic online, stuff, but like you're really, really shy and you're going to like write in a way that's not you. As soon as you ever get to the next step, when you meet someone or whatever, it's just not going to align. If you go for a job interview, if you go for whatever, and they don't, those two things don't align, it's not going to work. On the other side, personal branding is also really good because let's say you are super like you're talented and smart and so ambitious and can talk to everyone, but you've not got a personal brand. Who cares about any of those skills? Because if no one knows it, you're still not going to get anywhere. So that's really important. And those two things kind of go back and forth with branding. Like if a business is incredible, and we have that a lot because we have at our agency, so I work at a personal branding agency where we do personal brands for clients. And so they'll come to us and they've got these amazing stories or this amazing brand, like their own company that they've built is incredible and like changing the industry. If no one knows about it, they're probably not going to be successful because it's not always 
who is the best, but it's who is known the best. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people get really angry about this. It's like, oh, why is that like company or person? Like, why are they getting all this stuff? But like, they don't do as good work as us. Well, if no one knows about your work, then like, how are they meant to choose you? And it's the same kind of principles apply if you're a student looking for a job or you're maybe wanting to start your own business, you've got to have that personality come out. And it's the same as well if you're thinking about starting a business, if you have that entrepreneurial mindset, like you need that business, this story, mission, the work you want to do to be well known as well. Um, But yeah, it's just outward perception. The difference is literally basically personal branding is marketing for people, not businesses. So companies have, have started, you know, or a company live and dies by the sword of almost the brand and founder they're attached mm-hmm. to, right? Um, which has its like perks and benefits. If you say like, for example, a start like Richard Branson with, with Virgin, like it's, he's synonymous. Mm-hmm. When you think of Virgin, you think of Richard Branson. I mean, maybe not for yourself with your, your side projects, but also your, your founder at your job. How how important do you think it is for them to like really care, like know exactly what they're saying when they when they put it out? Because obviously, what your company does is take mm-hmm. founders with cool stories, right? And and you actually make it into something exciting, digestible, achievable. Because there are so many. It's hilarious when you, you think like the biggest company in the world. You look at the founders; they've got like two thousand followers, and they'll like repost like some yeah. random stuff. But you're like your company could grow so much more. So. Yeah, what is it exactly that your company is doing and why is it so important for that founder to have that authentic voice? Yeah, so I think as your word you said at the end, authentic is so crucial. And it's kind of, I feel like people think it's a bit of a juxtaposition or a contradiction of what we're doing. Where it's like authentic, but they're not the ones necessarily writing it. Mm. Quite frankly, founders are very, very busy. So we have to almost like artificially recreate that authenticity. And the way we do about that is very much going down that mission and goal kind of direction. So getting very, very clear, both on what they want to achieve as a business. So whether it's, I want to get leads to my business, I just want to grow brand awareness and like reach out to more people. I want to go to networking events, whatever. That's one thing. And that's really, really important as well to know because this isn't just for founders, but let's say you're posting as a student, you need to know I'm doing this to get a job. I'm doing this to connect with more people because that gives you that kind of, greater plan and understanding of what sort of content you'd be putting out. That's the selfish reason why you're growing your personal brand. And it is important to know that selfish is not bad. Selfish is just looking at yourself. Mm. What you also need to look at is your unselfish reason, so your mission. For example, the reason why I post online, the selfish reason is because I want to kind of grow my network. I want to have future career opportunities. I want to appear on podcasts and panels and stuff like that. I really enjoy all of that. My unselfish reason why I post and the mission behind my content is breaking down kind of stereotypes or ideals about the world of work. You don't have to be a corporate male in a suit in London to be able to get somewhere. You don't have to be a nepotism baby and have like your parents with a bunch of connections. You're allowed to create a career of your dreams, even if, you know, you're from a small town or you have anxiety or you know what, you're a person. Like we're not all just robot employees, we're all people and let's talk about it. The fact that I have that mission, one creates a direction for all of my content. If your content, this goes the same for any marketing. If your content is you talk about one topic one day and a completely different topic the next day, it's completely all over the place, no one's going to follow along because no one knows what you stand for and no one knows what they're going to get when they start looking at your content. A big kind of fear or a bit of a kind of question we get from our clients a few months in is, oh, I feel like we're talking about the same thing all the time. Your reputation comes through repetition. So the more you speak on a topic, the more you speak on a mission, one, it becomes a lot less, you know, performative. Let's say you spoke about sustainability or diversity or whatever once. Okay, do you actually really mean it? Is that actually something you're actually really passionate about? And is that, you know, a crucial core value of your brand? Those values are so important, especially when we're looking at kind of the trends within Gen Z millennials. They do look at brand values when they're trying to look at what brand they're going to buy for. That is a really big contributing facts like are they sustainable are they diverse like if we even look recently the Victoria's Secret fashion show 
which was mixed opinions on the actual execution behind the idea of it. Victoria's Secret had to cancel fashion show years, like a few years ago because they didn't have that diversity and that's what people wanted to see. So it's really, really important to have that mission, both because then you become authentic and you actually stand for something, but as well then people can actually recognise you, you're known for something because you're never going to sell anything, get asked to do, go on podcasts or, you know, panels or keynotes or whatever if you don't actually have something that you're actually focused on, that you're knowledgeable on and you can be known for. So it's really important to have your why locked down. Yes. So, so why you're doing it. And I mean, if you take myself as an example, right? So I mean, I've always sort of, when I first started, tried to stick to the fact that I can only really speak on my own experience in that like, I can only really help people who have you know, been in my own situation. But then as I like started putting out content, obviously the nature of podcasts is that, and it being quite an eclectic mixture of guests is that you are getting you know, more diverse mm-hmm. right? people consuming the content. and. And like we've had a lot of buy-in from, say, international students. And, and I wonder if we then place that onto your company. You're going to be speaking on behalf of somebody that you don't, you haven't lived their experience. So giving them that authentic voice and properly understanding, like, who's the audience? Mm-hmm. Why are they allowed to say this? And how do they then say it in the most like, impactful and meaningful way? How are you yeah, managing that in general? Yeah, so we always say this to our clients, it is collaborative. And, and it's kind of hard because a lot of clients will come to us because they don't have the time to write their past and all that kind of stuff. And that is very much fair enough. And we're not expecting you to do the same amount of time as if you were writing five days a week and then doing the engagement and posting it and looking through your DMs. But what's really, really important is we have a really strong back and forth communication and that we have a story. So like our onboarding process is pretty in-depth. So like the first call is like an hour-long kickoff call where we get their backstories, their opinions on stuff, all that kind of thing. And we can really build it out. A big positioning deck that's like 30 pages long. It's all to do with their personality and what their mission is and all those different things. But it doesn't stop there. Like every single post has some sort of their story in it. And as well, you know, the more we speak to them, like we're speaking to someone like an hour every other week on a call and then being on WhatsApp as well. We do start to learn their stories and we know their opinions. Like I'll have a client and I know their opinion on mental health or diversity or anything like that. And if they need to like comment on their behalf or write a post on that, I know their thought process. But at the same time, it doesn't need to be collaborative. I need to sit there and say, you know, I want to do a post on this. This is my ideas, but what's your opinion exactly on this? So we can really frame it correctly. As well, even the way it's written, like we... It takes kind of a, a bit of practice, but you start to like pick up what clients say in certain words. Like a really important thing about your personal brand, um, and it does depend. Like, let's say you want to, you know, be a really corporate lawyer. Okay, you might want to talk a bit more formal on LinkedIn. But a really great thing about personal branding is you can actually be quite colloquial. So, for example, we had a client before, and she was from Scotland, and she always used to say "we" as in like little, like a wee bit, whatever. And I really occasionally, not all the time, not overkill, but occasionally put that sort of thing into their content and it just creates, it just makes it human. And that's really important, both for our clients, for anyone listening to this, when you're thinking about your personal brand. The reason why personal branding is really powerful and impactful is because it humanizes someone. And you're no longer, you know, a black and white CV that doesn't you're a person with experiences and ambitions and emotions or you're a business owner that actually has you know 10 years of experience and doing x y z and i can show all of this but i'm also human and you can talk to me you can reach out to me whether you're a client or you know if you're a job seeker and you want someone to reach out to you the whole point is you humanize yourself and that is what personal branding that's the advantage of personal branding over like brand brand like brand brand don't in the sense um, and so you've got to think about that for yourself, but we also do that for our clients of like adding in these colloquial phrases, adding in their stories, adding in their experiences, because that's what makes it theirs. One thing I've always said is, in terms of regarding like how I want to be known, or like, is that I would hate to be like love on a thing or anything like that. I, I would want to be like known for having done something cool, especially if like you walked into a room, I wouldn't want to walk down a street and people recognize you or whatever. And not that that's a problem right now mm-hmm. at all, but um, yeah, I, w- I wonder with with yourself, I mean, 
you're obviously doing it when you mentioned earlier like selfishly for your own career and, and whatever in that regard but you do have a, a big following now and, and i've seen you you've taken breaks and posting on linkedin at times so, and you must get like quite daunted by the fact that a lot of it you're posting about your actual self like mm-hmm. your life you're bringing you know, real life experiences and sharing that with a lot of people that you don't know um, to who are gonna know more about you than probably you even realize when you go into a conversation with someone so tell me about that whole like period that you took off and and even now that you're writing on behalf of other people is that almost like refreshing for you yeah so from my own kind of experiences once again that is there's like two ways to it part of it's kind of easier posting online about my story and stuff yeah you know, i'm a chronic oversharer like i will talk to anyone i will have like me five minutes and you'll know my whole life story and that's really important to frame my personal brand i am relatively vulnerable on there but i'm relatively vulnerable in real life and people think to build your personal brand you have to you know share everything you don't as you said you want to be known for something and let's say you want to be known for starting a podcast you can talk about that podcast and the kind of how growing that's gone you don't have to be super super vulnerable whereas for me I like that because that's me at the same time I sometimes forget how many people are kind of watching it I was at um a Harry Styles concert like last summer and there was like 70,000 seats in the arena I was like oh that's like the amount of followers I have on LinkedIn and obviously they're not all active followers and they're not you know x y and z but it's that moment of realization like actually visualizing it is quite terrifying and I actually find it harder now than when I started because like and that's also why I kind of take breaks because I get quite scared posting and I almost feel kind of weird saying that because I'm meant to be the one that's being like no post it's amazing like you can do anything you can and you should be posting but I think people think the more you post the more followers you get the easier it gets but sometimes it can actually be harder because and it sounds silly, but you do think, oh, what if this post doesn't perform? Because if it doesn't perform, I've got a lot of people that know it hasn't performed. Whereas, like, let's mm. say you had a thousand followers and you get a post with three likes, you know, yeah. it doesn't feel as like much stake in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think also the other fear factor is it's not like being TikTok mm-hmm. famous or Twitter famous where you don't know the accounts that are following. Yeah. You can actually go on every single one of your followers and see who that person is that's mm-hmm. looking at you or interacting with you. Um, yeah, I mean, God, it must just uh, it must have been just a really sort of weird journey actually getting to that following and actually like observing that that shift in, in your own brain when, when you actually come to what you share, mm-hmm. how you share it, when you share it. What would be your advice to someone who's you know currently just starting that journey in terms of like actually dealing with the the more mental side of it? Yeah, and, yeah, like you know treating yourself nicely throughout the whole process and making sure you don't burn out or you know we're damaged or mental health yeah for sure i think this goes back to something you said at the beginning surrounding yourself with the right people and i did a post about this a while back actually and one of the reasons why i do feel like this year i've slowed down in posting is because i'm not as heavily surrounded by people who are so previously there was a guy in my company who's now gone off to his own and incredible and we would like if i didn't post he'd be like where's your post this morning in like a nice way but i had that accountability or Last year, I was going to a lot more networking events with other LinkedIn careers and stuff like that. And making it feel more tangible, having real people in your real life who care about whether you're posting or not, actually really just help keeping up, keep you going. Um, and as well, you can actually have conversations. As you said, like, there is a bit of a mental drain. Like, I don't want anyone to be scared of getting hate comments because, like, they're not that common. They really are not. But sometimes you do get them, especially, like, I always say, if I get a post just over... 4,000 reactions, there is going to be hate on that. Um, there's been two instances where I've had quite viral posts. And one of them was quite early on, actually, like two or three months into posting, I got a post with 38,000 reactions. And then this January, I got 115,000 reactions. And like, yeah, oh, it's great because you like bump up 10,000 followers in what, like a what week. What does LinkedIn hate even look like though? Because like, <laughs> you know, the comment section is normally like, you're a lazy, horrible person and you deserve like nothing. And you're like, oh my God, the hate is like so brutal. It's not something you're used to seeing on that app compared no. to that either. But one thing I have learned, like I said, I don't want anyone to be scared of posting because quite frankly, I could post a photo and a story of me helping a puppy and people would be like, 
where are the cats? Like, how dare you help puppies but not cats? You know, like, it's that whole, and there's a big, like, word on TikTok, like, what aboutism? Like, if the full story is not on here, you clearly haven't done anything else. For example, that first post I did was about um, moving home after uni um, and how, like, that wasn't originally the plan and now I'm living in my childhood bedroom and, you know, sometimes my mum comes in and is like, oh, can you go to the post office? And I'm like, I'm literally working, like, no. And things like that. And there were people commenting like, oh, you're so ungrateful of this, that, and the other. And I literally had to stop my mum from like commenting back to them because my mum was like, no, like you've done this all yourself. Like my mum's like, honestly, my biggest supporter. And like, she was getting so angry. And I think that's the thing. I feel like I've got quite a good mentality now. One, knowing that if you do get hate, it's purely because you've hit a certain like number of reactions and the algorithm's just putting out your content to people who don't know you, don't know your story, and also are not trying people you're trying to reach. But as well, I can guarantee it, because I've done this a few times, if someone leaves a hate comment, if you click on their profile and click comments to see what other stuff they've done, every single comment they have ever left will be a hate comment, like on every single post. And it's just really important from like that mental point of view as you kind of saying earlier, people that don't achieve anything, that like someone doing better than you is not going to hate on you. If someone, you know, sees that you're working hard and it, like respects that, they're not going to hate on you. If you are going to get hate or once again, whether it's online or people in your own life, it's not necessarily something you should care about. And a lot of the time it's that whole negative bias. If let's say you have five friends, four of which are so supportive, but one's like, what you're doing is really cringy and awful that one comment versus the four comments that are really, really great is going to feel really intense. So it's really important to have that kind of like strong mental kind of attitude and be very, very aware of actually what is going on when there is hate or when there is negativity within your life when you post online. So when you were at university, you were doing history and politics. Mm -hmm. I studied history and I had a feeling when I was there studying history, like I knew that it didn't translate into a career path and what even when I was there like the only thing that like sort of kept that uh kept me like worrying about my career and what I was going to do too much is that you could tangibly see how you were doing by your results and, and how you're ranking compared to other people and whatnot but for yourself who you know you said you enjoyed university and that structure and then you go into a, a job that's not you know got those traditional bonuses mm-hmm. or you know this progression route through the company for example how do you actually recognise when you've done a good job and, and, and how are you setting them yourself or is the company setting up for you? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. So I think everyone has when they go into work, but it's especially intense when you work from home. Um, and I've been, I'm very grateful actually the fact that I've been a people manager at a really young age. So I became head of social to a line manager at 21. And one of the biggest problems we face with new hires is that imposter syndrome and burnout. Because when you all work from home, let's say you've had a bad day or you're struggling to write content, you're sat there being like, wow, I'm so stupid. I'm like awful. I can't do this job. Whereas if you're in an office, you would probably just get on with it. Like you probably would still have those imposter syndromes, but it is so emphasized when you work from home. So I definitely don't have the full answer. I'm still kind of figuring it out, but a few things. One especially it's harder I'm very very lucky once again where I feel like I can somewhat influence the culture of the company so like going out of my way to tell people they've done a really good job and it also then because you create that culture it kind of comes back as well and you'll get massive like oh thank you so much for today and you'll have that moment like okay actually I've, I know what I'm doing and like that's okay I've also yes like within our company and a lot of companies we do have obviously all right a post, for example, I wrote a post for a client today and it did really well. I was like, oh, good, I still have it because I like, don't write posts all the time because that's no longer my job. So like, you can see the numbers or like, we get bonuses based on certain things like if we upsell to a client. So you can see it in that sense. But I've had a lot of talks with my advisor about it. So luckily, once again, we've got an advisor at our company who's external who like, comes and speaks to the senior leadership team about leadership, basically. And that is the kind of biggest thing that I've struggled with throughout my career is that fear that I'm not good enough. And the most important things is one, you can like, and I've tried doing this, is like creating a board and like you like put in all your like good results or like a really great comment from someone. 
But as well, once again, it kind of goes, it's the same sort of like mentality with those negative comments online where it's just understanding what's going on. Like I have imposter syndrome because I am um, out of my comfort zone and I'm growing and I'm doing something. If I was amazing at this all the time, I would need to do something else because I'm clearly not learning still. So I think, yes, like, Kind of culture where you like people are positive to each other and like writing down when you're doing really good things but also if you are struggling that's a good thing because if you weren't then you're not growing one thing that's interesting about your career having spoken to it now is that although you've had the the post personal branding success there were things you did between graduating and, and actually starting to build your personal brand that made you stand out and actually like translated into employability and job success so Let's speak about those a little bit mm-hmm. more. Um, one of them was making your CV stand out, right? And, and actually getting it through a more like authentic, less like online, LinkedIn, traditional sense. Um, so talk me through that process of like, well, going from, okay, maybe I've applied to one or two things, I didn't get it like because it was just a normal CV to, okay, this is how I'm gonna mm-hmm. make myself stand out. So, in kind of a weird way, because I didn't know what personal branding was then, the same principles apply to personal branding as a CV in the sense of I try to make myself human. And that is such an underrated trait. For example, and this goes to everything, if you go to a job interview, I always, if I can make that job interviewer laugh at one point, I know I'm in kind of thing. Like I remember even applying for my current job, and my CEO went to my university and I was like, I'm going to make a joke about Sally Oak, which was like the really gross place that all the students live, like the like, town. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to make a joke about that. I'm going to be human. And it's the same that went for the CV. People applying for jobs. And it's been interesting as now being on the other side. So I've just done a hiring round at my company for some new content writers. And what really makes people stand out and what people are looking for, what job like companies are looking for is people that are passionate about their company and have that like almost ambitious drive. And that's the thing, I'm the biggest advocate for do your nine to five and go home. Or like your job does not have to be your life and it's not to be your everything. And like, even me, like I try and make a really conscious effort that my job is not my whole life. But at the same time, like we want people that while they're on the job to be thinking about the next big thing. Like the biggest thing for me is initiative. I don't care if you come and you don't have all the exact skills, but if you've got the initiative and you're willing to learn and take feedback, that's what I'm looking for. So thinking how we can show that within a job application, is that kind of going above and beyond? So for example, the Pretty Little Marketer, which is like Instagram, like she had, her Instagram was big back then as the main one, but I was a Facebook community manager. And so I created a creative CV that looked like the Facebook page, but instead of the post, it was the post in the pretty long style, but they were my work experience and my education background and stuff. What I did with that is showed that I cared enough about the company that like I was going to go above and beyond. I understood the kind of company enough to know like that was what I was going to be doing and the vibes of it. As well, I didn't have any real marketing experience back then. But I knew one of the job things would be kind of graphic design. Any graphic designer says to be like, Canva's not graphic design. Canva is not graphic design. But to the extent that I needed to yeah. do for this role, it was. And so showing I can use Canva and I can literally create the content that you want to be producing already. I'm going to show you that. And that's taking that initiative and showing that passion, which is so important. And it's the same when it came for, when I was applying for Vogue and Glamour. Within my like initial email, I like, they like, hi, their name, so it made it personal. Spoke a little bit about myself. But one thing that I think is so important I included was the fact that I've been obsessed with Ugly Betty since I was seven years old. Had that story, made me seem human. Had a bit of, like, almost like humour into it and a bit different than if I was just like, I went to this university and I did X, Y, and Z. And as well, once again, going back to the passion for the company, I included... I read this article recently, name of article by name of the writer of the article. And this is why I loved it. And this is how that relates to your mission and my mission. So one of them I think was about like Harvey Weinstein, for example. And like, I was like, I really like love this article because I'm really into, you know, furthering women and women's rights. And obviously against Harvey Weinstein. And I really love that that's what you do at your company as well. And showing that I've done that research and I've created that value. And that's 
all you have to be doing, even if you are doing a black and white CV, because it's that sort of company, it's a little bit more corporate, you can still think you can incorporate that stuff in your cover letter, or especially if you're into creative roles, how can you do your portfolio so it tells your story, but as well brings in, it sounds silly, but the vibes of the company that you're going to. Yeah, and at university, I think one thing that, that happens is you, you start comparing yourself with the people around you in terms of what they're applying to, the routes they talk, everyone talks about like, oh, I just applied to here, okay, how did you apply to that? Well, you like mm-hmm. have a look at your CV, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, certainly goes to myself, so I don't exactly know, you know, the kind of careers that it, it normally fed into or anything, but for UCL, it was mainly consulting, banking, and law. And, mm-hmm. and nobody else was doing what I was doing, which is probably the most challenging part of it. And to be honest, like, nobody cared what I was doing for a very long time, and it wasn't until, you know, consistency and that validation from from some bigger businessmen or for example that I was like okay I'm gonna go like really hone in on this being my route for now you know even with the, the applications to create marketing like they're not traditional ones mm-hmm. to advise you and, and there were, wouldn't have been many people to sort of speak to about like oh like you know I got this rejection or I don't know what I'm doing like I, so what would be your advice to somebody who is surrounded by people that are all kind of looking to go for the same thing, but you know in yourself that you want to do something different? How do you break yeah. that mold? Um, yeah, for sure. And like context as well. So just generally at the university, but even in like my close friends in my house, they were all engineers going into engineering, psychologists wanting to become psychologists, like therapists, um, things like that. So they were all doing very, very different things to me in a similar way to you. I would say one... Like, it's a lot easier said than done, but just having that really kind of inner self, that why, and, you know, actually thinking about, okay, long-term, like, the people you're surrounded with right now, like, hopefully you'll stay friends with them, but where opinions right now aren't going to matter as much in five years where I want want to be. So having that really strong kind of sense of self and sense of direction is really important. But as well, as you said, oh, until I got validation from X, Y, and Z, like some people will, some people will say, oh, you don't need validation, just look into yourself. But actually, that is important as well. So trying to put yourself out there so you can be in those positions where you can get that sort of help. So for example, doing internships and then you do really well in that internship, you're like, okay, that's another thing ticked off. Okay, I can do that. But as well, growing your personal brand, you will meet people in the industry you're trying to go into. So right now, so many of my friends are in marketing or business. Like that is my like core friendship group at the moment. I would not have that without posting online or reaching out to them. And you do not need massive followings. If anything, what I would say is don't go, like obviously if there's someone you really look look up to that has loads of followers, drop them a message, you can ask them a question. What's gonna be a better direction for you though is looking at people in a similar position as you. So when I started, like, everyone would be like, oh, a lot of my friends now all have, like, 50,000 followers. Yeah, they didn't when I started. I had 500 followers. Some of them had 1,000. So I think Schwabe, who, like, I looked up to, then had, like, 4,000 at night. thought he was, like, a celebrity through and through. And these are the people, like, that are just, like, that little, little bit ahead of you. Start reaching out to them, start conversations, because they're probably going to have a lot more time to talk to you. But as well, we're in very much a loneliness epidemic right now. Like, no matter, even if you're a consult- consultant going in and there's a bunch of consultants around you, you're still going to feel really, really lonely. So finding those people that also are looking for that connection can really, really help drive you forward. It's great advice. And um, I mentioned earlier on the answer that you're talking about where you want to be in how many years. And I don't know, you know, with your career so far, you know, for example, on Year's Eve, getting mm-hmm. that message to join your current company, there is an element of just going wherever the wind takes you. Yes. But you must have like some idea of where you want to be in you know, three to five years in terms of like maybe not the actual job role mm-hmm. or, or like what you wanted to have achieved in order to be feel fulfilled. So yeah, what is that? Yeah, very, very good question. Um, so in an ideal world, and this once again is going back to the roots of things that I originally wanted to be in the world of more like fashion, like either fashion jewelry, skincare, and that sort of more kind of feminine driven industry would be a really big goal of mine um definitely in-house 
as well. All of these things as well, what's been really, really great about joining a startup and joining as a number three, like third person there. Like my current boss knows all of this and is like, I'll help you to get there, which is really, really great. Because I think sometimes our people, if you ask that question to some other people, they're like, oh, I will be at my company for the next 10 years. Like my boss, he knows that I'm not. And that's kind of always been in the cards, which has been really nice to have that transparency. But yeah, definitely in-house, because as much as I love agency life, it's very fast paced and you're doing stuff for everyone. I, I'm i such a passion driven person when it comes to everything, but especially my career, but I wanna work at a company where I love that company. I want to live and breathe that company and all the marketing, all the strategy. I'm very much, I'm much more of a strategist than like a copywriter, graphic designer, that sort of thing. I like the big overarching stuff. So that'd be really important. So yeah, two kind of prongs, definitely in the more feminine industry, just because that's just my personality and my sort of thing. But as well, being a company I love passionate about and doing like the overarching strategy. Yeah, I think it's great that you said uh, that your, your boss has that attitude mm-hmm. because I mean, sort of build, building a team myself now, uh, you know, going to go out of water tier, I think probably one of the most validating things of you doing something right as a founder bosses that you are getting like being that stopgap or mm-hmm. that stepping stone for someone to their dream career I mean it's no disrespect to your company if they move on it just it just shows that your company's growing right um and my final question to you mm-hmm. uh, you've been great today and uh, yeah a lot of invaluable very authentic advice um I ask all my guests this what is your definition of success because I imagine when you first graduated from Birmingham, you would have had a certain idea, be it monetary or, or whatever, of what a successful career would have looked like to you. you know, a couple years on, what does that look like to you? Yeah, so kind of going off that, when I graduated, it was very much linear progression, grad schemes, like massive companies, and that's by no means success now. I think it's also really important for success is very different to everyone and understanding your drivers. I obviously as everyone does want enough money to the company have a nice house or whatever go on a holiday i'm not driven by money that is not my definition of success being a millionaire and retiring at 30 is not like my idea of success if that happens i won't complain but it's not success to me to me it's living a life and having a job and having the lifestyle surrounding that job and everything where I feel passionate and excited and I'm surrounded by people who are also passionate and excited and waking up on a Monday morning like I'm so I'm not scared to take on the week I'm excited to take on the week and as I said before it's just purely having that driving factor and that kind of purpose that is I'm really excited Izzy you've been great thanks so much for coming on thanks for having me